0: This is the podcast that's all about pets. I'm Dr. Zara Boland. I'm a vet, a consultant, and an all-around animal lover. And I'm also a proud pet parent to Rumba, my beautiful Bernese Mountain Dog, and a very rascally rescue cat called Scamp. Now each episode, I'm joined by veterinary friends and colleagues from across the pet health industry so that we can share lots of handy tips and expert advice with you on how to keep your pet healthy and happy. Today we're going to focus on animal behaviour and my guest is Karen Pinar. Now Karen has been involved in animal behaviour for over 20 years, so she's very well qualified to speak with us today from her practice in Johannesburg in South Africa, where she consults with pet owners on companion animal behaviour problems. Karen is also involved in a variety of captive wildlife enrichment programmes where she and her team work with institutions to teach them how to provide suitable behavioural enrichment for the animals in their care. And in her free time, she's a busy lady, she writes for an assortment of magazines as well as being a partner for COPE International. And that's where she now spends most of her time lecturing and presenting their prestigious diploma in animal behavior. But more about that at the end of the podcast. Now we're all still sadly experiencing disruption to our core routines due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, but this also applies to our pets. And although it's a wonderful opportunity for us to bond with our companion animals, I wanted to discover if there's the potential for longer term consequences and what these might be. So when Karen and I started chatting, it very quickly became clear that there are two key areas of behavior that are starting to emerge as potential problems. And one is the risk of separation distress in our dogs going forward. And the second is actually an increase in depression in cats who are battling to cope with how present their owners are at the moment. So I ask, Karen, how do you go about diagnosing depression in a cat? The same way you do in a human.
1: It looks the same. So, you know, they tend to be very withdrawn. They tend to be very listless. Uh, mm-hmm. lack, lack of appetite is something we see quite a lot. They stop okay. grooming themselves. A cat okay. who's not behaviorally happy, uh, that is, funnily enough, one of the few things that they're not subtle about. Uh, they will pee in your shoe or on your pillow Ah, and and they they tend to do things like they stop grooming their fuses get very short so you know one of the two things that we see a lot with cats is either aggression where Mm -hmm. your cat is almost wanting to shout leave me alone and go away or they they tend to just withdraw and they get quite sad and it's very sad to see
0: can i just interrupt there because i think that's a really interesting point and, and as a vet i want to i guess dig through that a little bit more because i think there's a fine line perhaps um, between some of the symptoms you're describing and also some clinical conditions that that could result yes. in similar behavior so i think for anyone listening you know if you do notice any behavioral change in your cat for sure you should be talking to your vet as oh, a first i agree 100
1: <laughs> you know and, yeah. and even outside of times of corona if you ever see any behavioral change in your yeah. cat or your dog and it's sudden the first stop should always be the veterinary practice because very often um, actual physical health problems present as a behavior problem. They do. And while behaviorists can work wonders... Uh, we can't, we're not that good, you know, and if your cat is urinating because he has a urinary tract infection, exactly. Um, no amount of behavior modification is going to fix that, so absolutely. No,
0: but I think what, you know what, what you're what, saying is, is, is brilliant because once once then we have ruled out um, a clinical cause, you know, we work very closely with behaviorists like yourself so that we can then yeah. refer over to you so that you can do the long-term um, behavior modification programs. Yeah, absolutely. You you know, it's one of
1: those things that it goes hand in hand. You can't work with cat and dogs and behavior problems
0: if you don't work with a vet yeah. and vice versa so let's say we're talking about our cat that has changed their behavior they've become very let's say they've become very withdrawn more than normal so speaking about my own cat you know he, he loves to eat and sleep that's it that's his, his daily priority but if he's I, I know when he's not well because you know he will withdraw further he's not going to be interested and as you said yourself maybe they're not interested in eating they really just don't want to interact if we've ruled out any clinical causes for that, then as a behaviorist, what are the next steps that we can do and, and, and what should we be doing?
1: The first thing I want to say to you is that belief that cats are quite aloof and cats uh, are not quite as social as dogs, that's not quite accurate. Oh, excellent. <laughs> it, depends <laughs> on, it depends on the cat and it depends on the socialization that happened with the cat. Uh, normally, when I say to people that, that you can socialize your kitten the same way you can with a puppy and you can train a cat to do pretty much everything uh, better than a dog.
0: People tend to not
1: believe me when I say that, but cats can be incredibly affectionate, provided that they've been taught to do so. You know, Everyone seems to think that if you have a cat who runs away when you've got visitors, that's just normal cat behavior. But it's not, because normal cat behavior for a well-socialized cat should be, oh, people have arrived, I'm going to go see what's happening. Curiosity. Yes, yes, exactly.
0: No, it's interesting you say that, because again, I keep referring back to my own cat, but he is a rescue and he had a very tough little upbringing before I got him. And what I will say is that he is very 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 food motivated and so he is perfectly trained much better than my dog he will instantly sit on command for a treat instantly he's his bums on the ground before my my dog's even aware that I'm asking her to sit he's down and he's waiting So yes. I really believe cats, you, and I've seen cats, cats being trained amazing. as well to do agility courses, yes. and and you know they they love it; they get really stimulated. So please talk some more. Tell me what else we can okay.
1: be doing. So the first thing that I would suggest that you do, uh, particularly now with your cats and your dogs, I'm just going to speak general for starters. You need to stick to as close to a normal routine as possible. Uh, I'm talking about pre the world has gone crazy routine. <laughs> Uh, so you know if you were out for eight hours a day working make sure that the amount of attention that you give your dog and your cat now mirrors that so don't be Uh available to them 24 hours a day and you don't have to be mean to your dog or your cat to teach them this you know chew toys are your friend here and brain toys are your friend but you can give your your dog a toy to chew next to you on the couch or in the room with you or you can Mm -hmm. give your dog a chew outside in the sunlight obviously Introducing a little bit of distance now because you're home all the time, it's preferable almost to allow them the opportunity to go spend a little bit of time away from you. So, Mm -hmm. two toys outside go scatter feed your dog and your cat, or your dog or your cat, if you've got both (laughs) obviously not in the same place because someone's not going to eat. Yeah, really. Every single person knows their own pet. They know what yeah. their personalities are like. They know what they like doing and what they don't like doing. So, for, for now, the most important thing is make sure that you provide lots of opportunities for your pets to do the stuff that they enjoy, both by themselves and with you. This okay, is two so toys are great. Um, food dispensing toys. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't have to be expensive. You can make this. Uh, you know, toilet rolls okay. are your friend if you own a cat. You should <laughs> yes. never throw any toilet roll away. You know, cat toys shouldn't be expensive. Uh, I personally find that the best cat toy in the world is if you just take a little square of paper Mm, and you scrunch it it up into a little ball (laughs) and then you flick it. Uh, Particularly on either tiled floors, wooden floors or flat surfaces. They love it.
0: Because they can chase after
1: it, right? (laughs) So they can chase after it. So generally speaking, the most important thing to remember about toys, cat toys in particular, is it has to move. If you just put a box of cat toys down, your cat is not going to be interested in it. Younger kittens tend to be more playful than older cats but that doesn't mean that older cats don't play. If you don't play with them, they're not going to play. But if you do play with them, then obviously they are just fantastic pets to interact with. So make sure that the kind of toys that you provide for your cat, can move, preferably on its own. So you don't have to sit there and, and move it the whole day because we are trying to make sure that cats un- or that the pets understand that sometimes mom can play with me and other times she can't. The nice thing about cats is because they're very near sighted, they can't really tell whether what they're pouncing on is actually what they saw. Oh, interesting. In other words, so cats have got whiskers and hair mm-hmm. under their pads and around their faces mm-hmm. that helps them to feel whether or not the prey that they thought they caught is actually there because they can't see that close by.
0: So their whiskers almost act like extra little mm, paws and fingers.
1: Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. It it helps to give them a huge amount of information. So if you have got a cat and you want to play with them, I I quite like hanging little bits of mirror or glass or even crystals up in sunlight because it provides these beautiful little sun Uh fairies that move obviously as well and it's the movement that attracts the cats if you take your cat's kibble and you just scatter it on the ground where the reflections are when your cat pounces your cat will inevitably end up with something that she or he can eat Mm. now your cat's not going to know that what she was hunting is the thing that she ends up eating (laughs) because you know if, if we can use it to our advantage let's do it but it is a wonderful way to keep them engaged on their own
0: Well, some great advice there from Karen about how to recognize depression in our cats, as well as how to implement and maintain a routine that's as normal as possible for both our dogs and cats. And finally, some great top tips for play. But to go back to the potential increase of separation distress as we emerge from this pandemic and resume our normal outdoor lives, we need to help our dogs in particular to learn to cope with time on their own. And to do that, we first need to go back to basics and discuss the emotional states that we all share, humans and pets. So here's Karen.
1: Basically, there are seven core emotional states that all mammals share. These core emotional states are basically neural pathways in the brain, which means that there are certain uh, emotions that are tied to these seven core emotional states. Now, some of these systems work together and some of them work in opposition to each other. And the reason why we know that there are certain emotions attached to these neural pathways is because it's present in humans and it's present in other mammals. So in a human, when you stimulate that part of the brain, the person can say to you, I feel sad. Mm -hmm. And the behavior reflects that. Because the structure is the same and because the neurotransmitters involved are exactly the same, it's safe to assume that animals feel the same way. Now, obviously Mm -hmm. there are different levels of emotional capacity humans tend to have a higher level of awareness of what they're feeling and how they're experiencing life. But these seven core emotional states are present in all mammals. So there are three positive ones, three negative ones, and one seasonally positive one. So the three positive ones is care, play and seeking your care system is the basis of uh, all mammalian bonding it's the basis of all caregiving so if you love your dog and you love your dog very much you've got care system activation towards your dog and very often vice versa the care system is the system that essentially governs parental bonds so okay. that turns females into new mothers successfully it's the bit that stops you from eating your offspring when you sleep deprived really it's, yeah it's we don't need stuff. that <laughs> the easiest way to put it and then uh your play system that's pretty self-explanatory your mm-hmm. play system is governed by lots of physical contact lots of play lots of strengthening of relationships mm-hmm. uh, and then your seeking system is the bit that allows you to go out and find a mate when you're lonely uh, go find food when you're hungry shelter when you're cold it's the motivational system that basically governs okay. i need to do something to feel good or feel better. Your three negative ones is your panic system, which I'll talk to you about in two seconds, uh, your fear system and your rage system. Now your fear system is the thing that motivates you to get away from scary things. Mm -hmm. And your rage system is pretty much what it says on the box. Uh, In animals and young children, the rage system is less modulated than in adults. So adults are far better equipped to control their rage system. Um, your panic system is basically what activates when your care system is interrupted or severed. Now, the best way that I can explain this to you, you know, in a way that you 're going to understand easily is think about if you have ever been dumped by a boyfriend. <laughs> Everyone has at some point been dumped by somebody that they loved. And when you get dumped by that person.
0: Oh, it's a wonderful
1: feeling. You feel awful. (laughs) Really? You feel awful. You actually physically feel heartbroken. And that's because the, the panic circuit in the brain actually overlies the pain circuits in the brain. So you actually have this um, psychological pain that feels very real. That's why we say we feel heartbroken. You feel like your heart has been ripped out of your chest. And it actually hurts when you think about that person. That's because your panic system, uh, when it starts, it starts with the um, keeping offspring close to parents. Mm. It's Mother Nature's way of making sure that babies don't wander too far. Because if you wander too far, you're going to get eaten. Mm -hmm. So essentially, it's the stay close to mom proximity meter that makes sure that if you wander too far, your brain is basically grabbed by the, the tingly bits and squeezed until you pay attention and you go back to mom when you're close to mom you're safe so your panic system and your care system actually work together when i'm with the person i love i feel warm and fuzzy and i'm flooded with all sorts of wonderful feel good things
0: and yes exactly
1: oxytocin and and all those wonderful yummy things (laughs) and when i'm away from you it hurts and it Mm -hmm. feels awful And that is to try and motivate you to get back to the lost object of affection. Now, dogs can feel that as well. Before we go into that too much, the last system that I just want to mention before we go off track is the lust system. Please don't tell me that I need to explain the lust system to
0: you. Oh, please explain the lust system. Why not? (laughs) You are mean. (laughs)
1: So the last system is the system that is responsible for reproductive behavior, for making sure that the genes carry on. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason why we say the last system is seasonally positive is because the last system shouldn't be expressed towards inappropriate things if it's if it's expressed towards inappropriate things like cushions and legs and all those kind of ah, things
0: okay um
1: it's not a, a good thing you know? whereas if you <laughs> it's have, not very socially acceptable that's that's for what, sure <laughs> not so much no <laughs> Whereas, you know, if you've got a bitch in season and you've got a male dog who's intact, then you want the lust system to activate so that you have puppies. So then it's fine. But in any other context, maybe not. So getting back to your your panic system and your care system with dogs in particular, Mm -hmm. if you love your dog and your dog loves you, you've got a very strong activation of the care system. And that care system means that your dog wants to be with you. And conversely, you want to be with your dog. When you have to go out in your dog, it causes the activation of the panic system and your dog genuinely experiences emotional distress about the fact that he can't be with you. When you try and address dogs with a very strong attachment to the owners, the first step is you need to bring that care system under signaled control. In other words, you need to teach the dog that sometimes I'm here, but I'm not available. I always say to people, you know, there's one entrance into a bathroom. You are not gonna climb out the window and you're not gonna disappear down the drain. So bathrooms should be off limits for dogs because if you can go in there alone, then that's a little bit of social distancing that you put between you and your dog. You're still there, but you're not available.
0: So can you give us some ideas when we talk about that? And I know, you know, it's a while since I did my vet training and my behavior pieces. But what I do remember is being taught at the time was one way to kind of preempt and and try and dissipate potential um, separation distress was to kind of get your dogs used to the routine of you leaving the house when you don't actually leave the house so you're kind of disrupting what their expectation is their anticipation um, but that might be old-fashioned now so like you'd pick up your keys and your handbag and pretend to leave but you wouldn't leave or you then you'd leave for maybe a minute to come back leave for increasing lengths of time I'm not sure what's the current thinking on that the
1: problem with that
0: is if you
1: start doing that it's too much too soon because if you pick up the key the dog is already emotionally aroused plus you haven't taught him how to deal with the fact that when you're there you're not available you know we use a signal called a visual it's a visual signal that just says i'm unavailable and the easiest thing to use is just a bright piece of cardboard that you take and you just Mm. stick up on your wall and it's got to be something that's not normally there so you stick up that thing and then your dog is invisible for 15 seconds and then you take the thing down and then you can interact with your dog again so you start off by doing it when you're there and you can do it for short periods of time the Mm -hmm. the indicator about how long you do this for depends on your dog If your dog can do 15 seconds, then you do 15 seconds and you build on that. If you can do 15, then you can Mm -hmm. do 30, then you can do 45 and so on and so forth. Then do you treat afterwards? No, no. (laughs) Remember, the reward is being able to interact with you. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to teach your dog that when I'm not available, whether it's physically or literally, Mm -hmm. it's not the end of the world. You can cope. Yeah. So because you start off doing it when you're there and you're doing it for a very short period of time, you're doing it in such a way that the dog almost doesn't notice and the dog doesn't become emotionally distressed. And this is where the the old separation distress program fell over because we started trying to desensitize to departure cues without actually addressing the underlying problem. Because at the end of the day, emotions drive everything. How you Mm -hmm. feel about something will affect how you behave in response to it. So for all the people who are at home at the moment with lots and lots of time, if you have a dog who's following you around everywhere, start now by being unavailable for short periods of time. Don't make a big deal out of it. Don't pick up your piece of paper and go, okay, you are now on your own. You know, I have to ignore you now and I can't look at you. Uh, just very casually do it while you're um, cooking dinner. Okay. Do it when you're watching television. Pick up a book and read. The key here is that you are unavailable. People often struggle with the concept of unavailable. It means no eye contact, no physical contact, nothing. So it's very much pretend your dog is invisible. You put up that signal, you pretend you're invisible for a short period of time, you take it down, you're visible again. And then you reward with
0: with attention.
1: But don't make a big deal. Don't make it obvious. The problem also that happens with people with dogs that are separation sensitive is they feel bad for going out because they know that their dogs don't like it. So when they come Mm. home, they overcompensate overcompensate and they lavish their pets with love and affection. And all that that does is it actually highlights the difference for the dog between when you're home and when you're not home. See, the whole point is you are trying to teach your dog when I'm available, when I'm not available. There are no emotional peaks because with every high, there's a low. So you're almost trying to make you being available and not available a non-event for them. And then you build on that. So when you've now gotten to a point where you can put up that signal and walk out the room and your dog lifts his head and goes, Oh, signals up. Now she's not available. Okay. And carries on eating his chew toy that you provide Mm -hmm. him or carrying on sleeping. Mm -hmm. You know, that your dog is better about you not being there. Then you start doing the, adding in one at a time the cues that previously meant I'm going to leave now gotcha. and you build it up like that so it is quite a lengthy process it is. I was going to
0: say yeah, um, that's not quick it's not the
1: active uncoupling of the departure cues can take a bit of time but the teaching mm-hmm. your dog that sometimes I'm not available you can do that quite quickly I mean they're very smart mm-hmm. and they pick it up very quickly now that people have so much time it's even better or now that people are home so much I don't know about the so much time because heaven knows yeah. I <laughs> Yeah, you no. know, So that is why, you know, we're worried about the, the flood of separation problems that are coming. So okay. if people take anything from this, the, the highlights that I would suggest is make sure that you teach your dog now already. Sometimes I'm available and sometimes I'm not. Even if I am here, I'm not always available. Include, sometimes you can see me and sometimes you can't. And then make sure that your dog has lots and lots and lots of mental stimulation, uh, both with and without you. I'm not saying ignore your dog because that's not why we have dogs. Uh, Interact with them, but try and interact with them for the same amount of time that you would have if life was normal. I would actually recommend that for every hour that you spend with your pet, you should give them two hours of alone time or time where they entertain themselves. And it's that's dogs to, and cats? That's dogs and cats. Depending on the age of the pet, obviously, older cats tend to want to sleep more. Mm-hmm. So if you know that your 12-year-old cat likes to sleep from 7 in the morning until 3 in the afternoon, then leave them alone. Okay. The biggest rule that I'm giving everybody at the moment is if your pet is in her bed, you leave them alone. That okay, is the so they have a place. safe
0: place. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's off limits, yeah. um, particularly if there are children in the home. Mm -hmm. because right now the kids are also bored because they're not going to school, they're not playing, Mm -hmm. they're not in their normal routines. And a lot of pets take a lot of strain because there are kids in the house. Because normally Mm -hmm. the kids are away for several hours a day. And as much as you love your household companions, the two-legged version, there is such a thing as too much.
0: I think it's important that we recognize this as a a unique opportunity to strengthen the human-animal bond that we do share with our pets. And so mental stimulation and playing with them and giving them time is very important. But what you're saying is at the same time, we have to be cognizant that they're not used to it. And so they need to have space that they can retreat to and and take themselves out of so that they have time to be on their own and recover and recalibrate and, and adjust to, to, to what their previous normal routine was, and which they will probably be returning to at some point in the not too distant future.
1: Most likely, yeah. And giving them alone time is to make sure that the quieter ones, the ones that are overwhelmed and that are not actually coping with having their owners with them so much that they are given a bit of respite as well. And then, of course, make sure that they've got some quiet time where they can sleep and relax. Sleep is very important for happy dogs and cats. And people.
0: <laughs> yes. Very, yes. very important. Important for everybody. Especially at <laughs> <Absolutely>. the moment. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Karen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. Uh, there's so many more questions I want to ask you. Without doubt, I want to invite you back to do another podcast if you would at some point. Um, it But would thank be you my so much for your time, pleasure. your expertise. <laughs> I've learned so much. So I want to thank you really for your time.
1: It's an absolute pleasure. I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. And I would love to come back and talk to you about animal behavior some more.
0: There was so much to discuss with Karen that it was hard to squeeze it all into one episode. But luckily, she's agreed to come back another time to discuss more animal behavior topics. However, if you want to find out what it means when cats blink at you or how to spot the signs of an anxious dog, then be sure to listen to the bonus episode we're releasing alongside this one. And as I mentioned at the start, Karen lectures in animal behavior, and all of her COPE courses are online, making them available wherever you are in the world. And that means that anyone who's interested in animal behavior can now follow their dreams to become qualified in this fascinating field. And I'm very tempted myself. To learn more about Karen and COPE, that's C-O-A-P-E, please do visit their website, coape.org. Well, that's all for this episode of Vet Voice, but don't forget that nobody knows your pet like you do. So if you're in any way worried or concerned about your pet's health, please be sure to contact your own local veterinary practice. And to make sure that you receive the next episode of the Pet Pod, please do like, share and subscribe. Thanks so much for listening.